you think about the Ten Commandments and when they were given, it was just absolutely dramatic. Uh, we have a sermon called by Mr. Wallace Smith uh, called The Tale of Two, uh, Two Pentecosts. I just want to demonstrate to you, if you want to take a little time here, uh, all of you experts and uh, your iPhones, I'll just go to Google here and say, Living Church of God Sermon, Wallace Smith, Two Pentecosts. One, two, three. Here it is. Within three seconds, I have a sermon on my cell phone. So it's amazing if you just uh, go Google and just say Living Church of God Sermon and give the title of the sermon, within three seconds you can get it on your iPhone. And I suggest that you might sometime uh, hear Mr. Wallace Smith's sermon. It was very dramatic, thinking about the trumpet that just got very, very loud, and, and then the thunders and lightnings, and God came down on the top of the Mount Sinai, and, it, and there was smoke and thunders and lightnings, and the people trembled. Of course, some of us trembled in uh, California when we've experienced... How many of you experienced a California earthquake? You see your hands, you know. Well, that's a good about 21% of you have uh, done that. And you, you know you know how to tremble sometimes when you experience something like that. But it made quite an impression on Israel. But the commandments that were given to them were external. They did not internalize the Ten Commandments. The New Covenant is one in which God writes on our hearts and minds the New Covenant the Ten Commandments and the spiritual aspects of the law it becomes internalized. It becomes a part of our very character, as I was mentioning last night. And so we are called to be a part of the New Covenant. We are called to be kings, priests, and judges, as we've been learning throughout the feast. We're to teach the world. What are we going to teach the world? We're going to teach them the purpose of life. Calvin and Hobbes were discussing this very subject. Uh, Calvin, you know, is a precocious little boy, and Hobbes is the intellectual tiger, is uh, uh, the straight man, if you will. And they're leaning up against a tree, philosophizing. And Calvin says to the tiger Hobbes, Why do you suppose we're here? And the tiger says, Because we walked here. No, no, I mean here on earth. And Hobbes the tiger says, because earth can support life. And then Calvin's getting a little frustrated. No, I mean, why are we anywhere? Why do we exist? And Hobbes says, because we were born. And uh, Calvin says, forget it. And uh, the Hobbes the tiger says, I will, thank you. <laughs> so they... We're trying to discuss the whole basic question and mystery of life. What is the purpose of life? And God has given us that answer to that question. You might uh, turn to Ephesians, the third chapter. Ephesians, the third chapter. What a wonderful gift, as we even heard in the sermonette, how God's love for us, that He's God called us His children, and we are called, chosen, and faithful, those that are with Christ. In four words, what is the purpose of life? This is something that Mr. Herbert Armstrong said publicly on radio, something Dr. Meredith has also said in writing. 
What is the purpose of life in four words? God is reproducing himself. And I've heard that on Mr. Armstrong say that on radio to the world. And, of course, they would think that that's blasphemous. But that's what God is doing. He said he created man in his own image, in his own likeness. And so here in Ephesians, the third chapter, verse 14, Ephesians 3:14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. God is creating a family, and we are that family. The former association uh, that it embraced the uh, Trinity and apostatized uh, so, oh, said God has a family. That was the first edition of the God Is booklet. And the second edition, they even erased that part of it. No, God is a family. When you have a, fa- a father and you have a son, what is that? That's a family. And so God is the father of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That's a wonderful purpose that God has for all of mankind. And all of mankind does not know that. No, Calvin and Hobbes don't even know that. So... We're thankful that God has revealed that whole purpose for us. And so we are, as we heard actually in the sermonette, and I'll turn there again. First uh, Peter, uh, second chapter, First Peter 2. It's a wonderful calling that God has given us. First Peter 2, as uh, Mr. Bukowski read or referred to, First Peter 2, verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As he pointed out in verse 4, that we are chosen by God and precious. So God has called us to be a royal priesthood. Christ is the high priest, our great high priest, who ever lives to make intercession for us, as it says in Hebrews 7, verse 25, one of the precious verse, if you will, well, then you realize, I'm having trouble, but Christ is there to ever intercede for us. Hebrews 7, verse 25. But here, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen generation. Yes, we are the first fruits of God's calling. First fruits of His family. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. And, of course, the King James Version says a peculiar people. Uh, well, we're not a peculiar people in that way. Others won't call us that. But we are a purchased people. We are a special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of his darkness into his marvelous light. Well, God has called us to be a royal family, and that's the title of the sermon today, God's Royal Family. So what is the kingdom of God? To be a part of his royal family. Uh, Mr. Herbert Armstrong on the radio, would, which I've been hearing every once in a while here an old radio broadcast, he said the kingdom of God is, first of all, the government of God. And secondly, it is the family of God. Then he had a second thought, and he said, well, maybe it could be the other way around. The kingdom of God is the family of God, and secondly, the kingdom of God the government of God. So that's basically what God has defined as his family. We are now brothers and sisters in Christ. God has called us to be members of his royal family. And we are born into that family. I had a 
discussion with some new people in, in Cathedral City, uh, just new, and it was difficult for them to understand uh, about being born again. And finally, they got through, uh, got through to them that, yes, we're begotten children now, and we're born again at the last trumpet, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. This mortal must put on immortality. And so, thankfully, we'll look forward to that time when we're glorified and we are born into God's family as immortal beings. In Colossians 3, one of my favorite verses, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then shall we also appear with Him in glory. That's something to look forward to. But our relationship with Christ has got to be intimate, consistent, and continuous. So God purposed for human beings to be have a loving family, and the Ten Commandments would help the families to be loving and to be secure and to be stable rather than fragmented and rather than being disintegrated. The Fifth Commandment says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which your father has given you, which the Eternal is giving you. And so we remember and we respect our parents, and you still honor them even if your parents are deceased. You still honor them by being a success in life. You honor them by being a faithful servant of God and a faithful Christian. You continue to honor them. But even children in the new generation, and I gave a, a lecture to our living education students here recently on protocol, on loving your neighbor as yourself. This younger generation doesn't even know how to say please, thank you, uh, you're welcome. And these are just courtesy uh, phrases. Uh, I used to say, that if you don't know five phrases that will help you get along with others, please, thank you, you're welcome, I'm sorry, is another one, and how may I help you? Uh, even those five phrases will help people along. But now we've got... Uh, the millennials come along, some of them that, that just really don't know how to socialize, how to respect, how to get along with others, how to love their neighbors, how to have that cultural uh, protocol. So the fifth commandment helps the family stick together. The seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And when you realize, yes, when faithful couples stay together, that stabilizes families, stabilizes the community, stabilizes cities, states, and nations. You're keeping the fifth and seventh commandments. And the tenth commandment, you shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. So even God's commandments help us to have faithful and special Stable families. Turn to Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Hebrews 13. These are the kind of laws that we will be teaching those who come back in the second exodus, and they'll be having to learn some special lessons. As uh, Mr. Sedliacek said yesterday, they'll have some that be in unlearning. We had the Millennial News, uh, the New World News, it was called, that came out with Mr. Armstrong's uh, booklet on uh, uh, the wonderful world tomorrow, what would it be like. And this is a, a Millennial newspaper. And uh, it uh, talked about those scientists who would have to go to 
unlearning schools. They'd have to be there for seven years. Well, I don't know if it'll take them seven years to unlearn uh, what they've, they've uh, learned. Uh, but nonetheless, we will be teaching the world these values. Hebrews, the 13th chapter, again, gives us another encouraging principle of, of families. And uh, marriage, verse 4. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. So God says, yes, intimate relationships in, by, in marriage is what God has called. And in Genesis, about five or six times, he said, be fruitful and multiply. So God expects husbands and wives to have that wonderful relationship to one another, to love one another. But Satan is trying to destroy families. World Magazine, July 26, 2014, talked about China's abortion rate. China's abortion regime and the heroes fighting it. A street-level look. While government counts 13 million abortions a year, the actual number, including unreported abortions, could be as high as 30 million. Just in, uh, in China itself, of course, the United States millions have been aborted as well, more than 40 or 50 accumulated uh, abortions over the years. But God says, you shall not murder. And uh, we thank God that we can still look forward to the time when we will institute God's commandments and bring peace and harmony. So families were supposed to be fruitful and to multiply. But how can you have loving families? We understand, of course, that God is love. Uh, John, 1 John 4, verse 8 and verse 16. I gave a sermon here recently on what is the greatest reality. And uh, that will be coming out, I guess, in the next couple of months. You might want to uh, see that in your local congregation. What's the answer to the question, the greatest reality? Because, uh, actually, I was commenting on the Scientific American magazine, which was trying to celebrate how can we find reality in an unreal world. An American Scientific magazine discussed goes psychology, uh, talks biology, and trying to think, how can we figure reality? What is reality? And, of course, the matter of the mind. They don't know what the human mind is. They can't define consciousness. There are three or four approaches to defining consciousness. As the materialist says that all your thoughts are just chemical operations going on. And there's a dualistic uh, concept of it. They do not understand the truth that Mr. Armstrong and uh, Dr. Robert Kuhn came along with. That is that the human mind is human brain plus the human spirit as the Apostle Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, that the human mind and the human spirit make up the human, the human brain and the human spirit make up the human mind. I was when I, working on my graduate class in uh, communications, and the professor asked the same question. He couldn't answer the question. What is consciousness? And uh, what is the human mind? So we know the answer to those questions. Because God is love, and he's creating in us his perfect righteous character. Uh, Mr. Bukowski referred to John 3.16. And, of course, the world thinks God is a trinity. Well, that's, of course, a falsehood. It's a closed Godhead. 
And I hope that uh, most of you have read Mr. Gerald Weston's booklet, uh, John 3.16, The Truths uh, Revealed, the exact title of it. How many of you read at least one chapter of the booklet, John 3.16? See your hands. Oh, good. That's a good uh, 72%. Uh, How many of you had read the whole booklet, all eight chapters? Oh, well, good. That's about uh, 52%. Or maybe 50%, the rest of you are laying us in. I'm not sorry. <laughs> I just, uh, I just hope that the, if you have not read the whole booklet, John 3.16 by Mr. Gerald Weston, uh, be sure to do it. It is a statement on God's revelation to the world because John 3.16 has eight different elements that are powerful, fundamental truths. And he has eight chapters to describe each of those. This is a statement of God's truth and God's plan. So be sure that you read that. But God is love. What is the greatest reality? I said in that sermon I should preempt you and let you see the sermon itself. But Mr. Armstrong said another way, what is the greatest fact in the universe? In three words. What is the greatest fact in the universe in three words? How many of you know? Good. About about, about seven or eight of you know. God rules supreme. God rules supreme. And you just go all the scripture after scripture. Uh, God reigns. Uh, Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the inhabitants thereof. Um, Revelation 19. The Lord God omnipotent reigns. He is God Almighty. He reigns supreme. But you might say another reality is that God is love. And we know what kind of love that is. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Romans 13, verse 10. And by 1 John 3, 5-3, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous or burdensome, 1 John 5 and verse 3. But God purposed humans to have loving families. He is love, and we need to be love. And I've mentioned at the beginning of the sermon how much I appreciated the love that some of all of our brethren here at the feast have been showing towards one another. It's just been very, very inspiring, touching to me personally, and I thank you for that and hope you continue to grow in loving one another. But how do we love one another and fulfill our growth in the royal family of God. We do that by fulfilling our own responsibilities. And back in the maybe 60s or so, I know as pastoring some churches and those, there there were husbands that knew the Scripture, wives submit yourselves unto their own husbands. They really knew that Scripture well. And they tried to say, my responsibility is to make my wife submit unto me. No, they had a a wrong approach to it because God is judging each of us on our own responsibilities. And what are our responsibilities? What's the husband's responsibility? Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. So you're not trying to make your wife fulfill her responsibilities. You must stand before the judgment seat of Christ in making sure you love your wife. 
And wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. You have to fulfill that responsibility. And we're all being judged by that. And of course, for me personally, I was inspired by Dr. Meredith's article, What All Husbands Should Know. He gave five responsibilities. I pray about that every day, that I can fulfill my responsibility towards my wife. Those five responsibilities were and uh, love and respect, support and encouragement, help and protection, leadership and guidance, and inspiration to grow. I pray about that every day. And if you want to know more about it, you can look that article up in the Plain Truth magazine, June 1966. It's easy to remember because it's 666, June 1966. Uh, what all husbands should know. The Plain Truth magazine. Then later on, a few years, a couple of years later, when uh, the feminist movement started coming along, uh, Dr. Meredith wrote the article on Christian womanhood. Is it a lost cause? He didn't go into wives, but he gave it to Christian womanhood. And I pray about that for my wife every every day. And those five, if I can remember, are responsiveness and service, tenderness and beauty. Intelligence and understanding, faith, hope, and Christian, faith, hope, and courage, and Christian virtue. Those were five virtues of Christian womanhood that he wrote about. So God has called us to emphasize the responsibilities we have. He said, I won't turn there, but Colossians 3, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter against them. We can get really upset at our wives, but God says, do not get bitter of them. them." So my wife and I celebrated our 55th wedding anniversary here this this last August. And, uh, of course, uh, people say about my wife, she's so sweet. (laughs) Well, yes, she is. But she's from Joplin, Missouri. And she has a strong will. And I have a strong will. So we've had to make adjustments all, all my life. I remember uh, Bob Leake, who was an uh, associate pastor in our Charlotte congregation before he died. And he said uh, he and his wife were, were celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary. And he said, we got married when my wife was two years old. Well, he, he didn't want to reveal his wife's age. But he said, and this encouraged me. Married for 60 years, what he said was, we are still adjusting. I thought, wow, that is very encouraging, because we are still adjusting. So we haven't, haven't come to perfection yet. So we have to fulfill our own responsibilities. And uh, I guess years ago, I don't know if I take time for this, uh, I gave a, a report card to my wife. This is... Uh, A loving note from your husband. You know I love you, and I'm yours for keeps. And as you will see from this card, I do notice all the little things you do uh, that make up our lives together so special. And it has a reporting code, uh, A, exceptional, B, outstanding, C, making good progress, uh, D, making little effort. (laughs) And so... Uh, it has a section, day-to-day activities. Uh, appreciates my shower voice convincingly. 
I gave her a C for that one. And, uh, okay. And also, she said uh, another one uh, keeps the thermometer uh, where I set it. Uh, gave her another C for that one. <laughs> Cooks my favorite meal more often than hers. Uh, gave her an A for that. Uh, can kill a spider quickly and ex- ex- expediently without screaming. Putting a glass over it doesn't count. I gave her an A on that one, too. <laughs> the social habits. Um, goes out with my friends wearing a smile. I gave her an A on that. And after dark, I won't go into those. So. <laughs> and then she sent me... The Ten Commandments of Being a Great Husband. And uh, I won't go through. Thou shalt not hog the pillows and blankets. (laughs) And another one here. Thou shalt consume and relish all meals and smack thy lips in appreciation. (laughs) Never saying, I had this for lunch. Thou shalt not be stingy with hugs, kisses, cuddles, and snuggles, for thou shalt get them paid back in full. Oh, thank you. I'll just say one more. Thou shalt not give thy spouse equal time. Thou shalt give thy spouse equal time during football playoffs. And thou shalt not nag thy spouse except when justified. Thou shalt remember it is never justified. So, so we're, we're still adjusting, but we obey Christ, and we understand that in some families where the husband or the wife starts to stray from the truth, that the other ha- person has to be strong and have a backbone. And sometimes the wife will just go along with the husband. He goes out of the church. He's just beakly followed. She doesn't have backbone. So all you women need to have backbone because you love Christ first. You love God the Father first before you love your husband. And you're not going to compromise. As you saw in the behind the work video, uh, Mr. Weston talked about the Laodicean church and how the historian Ramsey uh, talked about the Laodicean church as the church of compromise. You don't want to compromise whether you're a woman you need your backbone to stick to the truth, regardless of what your husband does. And if you're a husband, you don't go along with your wife meekly if she's going to be leaving the church. You made that commitment at baptism. You said, I will love Christ more than I love father, mother, sister, brother, wife, a husband, children, and my own life also. You made that commitment at baptism. And you need to stick to that commitment. But you still can set an example of 1 Corinthians uh, the seventh chapter, uh, you're familiar with that at all, and we've had some wonderful examples in the church of those husbands who set good examples for a non-member wife. We've had wonderful examples of women who set wonderful examples for their non-member husbands. So First Corinthians, uh, the seventh chapter, and... Uh, I can find this. Uh, of course, it says in verse uh, uh, 
talking about the unbelieving departing, uh, verse 15, but 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? And I've seen that example. I know one case in which uh, the wife was uh, uh, setting a wonderful example to her non-member husband, and 11 years later, uh, he was converted. And the same thing goes on here. O husband, whether you will save your wife. And I've seen that in the church as well, where a husband had a non-member wife, and his example, over 12 years, she finally was converted and was baptized. So again, we set that example. We have to be consistent and loving and fulfill our responsibilities, whether we're husbands, wives, or whether we are children, to honor our father and mother and to always be honoring the family, knowing that, yes, we are setting the pioneering examples for tomorrow's world and the families for tomorrow's. And uh, children give, have their responsibilities. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, talked about husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, children. We pray about your responsibilities. Uh, what is your responsibility? Have you been fulfilling that responsibility? Ephesians 6 and verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. You know, uh, Raymond McNair and Carl McNair grew up in a family, and they started keeping the Sabbath, and their father didn't let them. And they had to submit to punishment, but they didn't, they didn't compromise. And they finally went uh, Burke and, uh, Burke and uh, Raymond, uh, finally went to Ambassador College in the earlier years. And of course, uh, Marion McNair and Raymond McNair later as well. Uh, but they obeyed God first. You obey, obey God first, but you obey your parents in the Lord, as it says here in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. And you continue to honor your parents by being a success in life, as I said before. What about singles? Well, singles have a responsibility of being ambassadors for Christ and being a success of life. And they're fulfilling the seven laws of success. And they're honoring Christ and God, of course, keeping the seventh commandment, of seeking God's continual guidance. That's the seventh great commandment. Seventh commandment of the seventh laws of success. Uh, seek God's continual guidance. And, of course, these, that goes along with Paul's admonition to pray without ceasing, that you are instant in prayer and praying without ceasing. And, it, well, Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. We are saying that hymn. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Matthew 5, verse uh, 13. So if we prepare to be born into God's royal family at the resurrection, we must be fulfilling our individual family responsibilities. Are you fulfilling your God-given responsibility as a father, mother, husband, wife, daughter, son? I hope that you are and that you are dedicated to doing so. Another aspect of God's royal family is exercising unconditional love. What is that? Well, let's turn to Romans, the fifth chapter, Romans 5, verse 10. We, we thank God 
for his whole plan of salvation, which includes unconditional love. It includes conditional love, obviously, because we have the whole lesson from Genesis to Revelation. Obedience brings blessings, and disobedience brings consequences and penalties. That's the whole lesson, of course, the specific chapters of Leviticus uh, 26 and Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and cursing chapters. But here in Romans 5 and verse 10, one of our favorite verses again, where it says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by His life. He loved us when we were enemies. That's unconditional love. And what about us? Are we extending unconditional love? And are there ways for us to extend unconditional love? Well, you're familiar with that, but let's turn back to Matthew, the fifth chapter, where he says, yes, you, yes, you might have natural love for your families. You should have. And, of course, there is unnatural love that some families have. And that's just uh, disappointing and abominable. But here in Matthew, the fifth chapter, he talks about our being perfect. Well, how do, how do you become perfect? Well, it may be translated mature, but he said in verse 43 of Matthew 5, Matthew 5:43, You have heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love one another. Love your enemies. Bless them who curse you. Do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. You're not going to be the sons of your Father in heaven unless you do that. For He makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So we need to love our enemies. I know one time I was passing by a room where my wife was praying, and she was praying for one of the church enemies. And I thought, this really surprised me. And I, I know when uh, times passed where there was individuals that I had conflicts with, and I was just so frustrated. I, back in Ambassador College, I won't give the exact example, but I think he was a, a junior class president, still kind of carnal at that point, and it really bugged me. But I started praying for me. And all this frustration that I had toward him left. And I started to love this carnal, obnoxious person. <laughs> so you pray for those who despise you, who abuse you. You pray for your enemies. Uh, that's what Christ did when we were still God's enemies. And that is part of what is called unconditional love. Dr. Jeff Fall in his booklet, Successful Parenting God's Way, says, says this, We as parents must expose our children to the truth of the Bible, not just in truth, the doctrine we teach, but also in the truth we live as parents. If children experience a parent who gives unconditional love, has clear-cut cities, uh, sorry, clear-cut rules, that are consistently reinforced and generally uh, displays the fruits of God's Spirit, it will not be difficult for them, the children, to develop respect and obedience to God as they grow up. 
And so, yes, parents need to demonstrate unconditional love. And I knew even my parents were not in the church uh, back in New London, Connecticut, uh, but I knew they loved me. And when I went astray, I always thought, you know, if I ever repent, I, I didn't use those words, repent, but if I ever went back to my family, I knew they would accept me. They had that unconditional love towards me. And that, when you read what happens to people coming back to the church, and I met someone here already who had been out of the church for 30 years, and you think about those individuals. I know there was a, one person down in Australia who had been, been out of the church for 41 years. And then in Athens, Texas in 2012, I met a man I said, well, what was your first feast? Oh, my first feast was in Big Sandy in 1961. I said, oh, that was my first feast too. Yeah, I said, but I only attended that, that one year. And he came back in 2011, 50 years later, after he had kept his first feast and was baptized in 2012 by Mr. Dan Hall in, in Texas. So parents realize that even if your children go astray, you still exercise that unconditional love. There may still be hope for them, maybe after 10 years, 20, 30, 40, or maybe even after 50 years. They may come back into God's truth and may come back to God's church. So exercise that unconditional love. Dr. Fall mentioned that term in his booklet 11 times. And he quotes, what is unconditional love, Dr. Ross Campbell? Unconditional love means loving a teenager for a, or a child of any age, no matter, no matter what the teenager looks like, no matter what his assets, liabilities, and handicaps are no matter how he acts. That's from How to Really Love Your Teenager by Dr. Ross Campbell, page 25. So just as God, just as parents express unconditional love towards their children, God expresses perfect under unconditional love towards us. That's another aspect of our growing in royal families. So let's exercise unconditional love and be forgiving as members of God's royal family. Turn to James, the fifth chapter, along that line of uh, being consistent and, of course, loving our spiritual family, the church. James, the fifth chapter. And uh, James 5 and verse 19. James 5 and verse 19. Brethren, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. William Barclay, in his commentary on the book of James, says, James finishes his letter with one of the greatest and most uplifting thoughts in the New Testament. And he concludes by saying, it has been said that those who bring sunshine into the lives of others cannot keep it from themselves, and certainly those who bring the lives of others to God cannot keep God out of their own. 
The highest honor God can give is bestowed upon him who leads another to God. For the man who does that does nothing less than share in the work of Jesus Christ, the Savior of men. So we need to turn others to righteousness, not just only the world, but members of the body of Christ who may be going astray. And we try to exhort, you know, teenagers and young adults that one of your single and you have a roommate who's going astray, you don't compromise. You try to help get back on the right track or try to help her to get back on the right track if she's going astray. And of course, with all the vaping that's going on or the opioid epidemic, there's so much temptation in the world. We need to exhort one another while it is called today, as it tells us in the book of Hebrews. We exhort one another. And so, thankfully, we're all trying to do that in love towards one another. So we help our spiritual family as well. We are members of God's body. We are members of one another. And of course, I won't go in there, but Ephesians 4 and Romans, the 12th chapter, talk about the old man and the new man. Talk about the family of God, that we are members one of another. And, of course, it gives the analogy of the human body. Can the, the eye and the ear, can the ear say, I'm not a part of the body? Uh, we're all part of the body. Some of us may be kneecaps. I don't know how that would fit in, but uh, we all have various parts that whatever we are, we need to fulfill our calling and not be jealous and not have what is called the selfish ambition. That's one of the fruits of the flesh mentioned in Galatians, the fifth chapter, contrasted to the fruits of the Spirit. Selfish ambition. And so many times I've seen that even in the ministry in uh, times past, because this person wasn't, um, wasn't uh, taken, given a, a regional pastorate or uh, just wasn't uh, given certain responsibilities. He left, no, I'm out of here. No, he didn't have the attitude of service. He had selfish ambition. And that's one of the fruits of the flesh, as I mentioned in Galatians 5. So again, we need to humble ourselves and make sure that we are helping one another stay on the right track, that we are members of God's body. We have a family mission to perform. And we are family with a mission. I've already mentioned too, and you saw in the Behind the Work video, I held up the sevenfold commission of the Living Church of God that Dr. Meredith outlined. Uh, we are people with a mission. And those churches that say that we're helping the bride get ready, well, you may think you're helping the bride get ready, but if you're not doing the work of God, you are not helping the bride to get ready because the way the bride prepares is by doing the work of God and fulfilling the commission that Christ gave the body of Christ, the bride that he's going to marry, the converted woman he's going to marry. I'll talk about that on the last great day on the marriage of the Lamb. So God has called us to be a pure church or that by the washing of the water, by the Word, as it mentions there in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Well, Dr. Meredith wrote this years ago, and he said, Dear brethren, I hope that all of you will catch the vision and join with us in fulfilling this sevenfold commission. Of course, it could be worded or structured differently, but these key elements of Christ's commission to His church as outlined above can be broken down into the seven parts. 
I'll just mention the first three. Preach the gospel of the kingdom and the true name of Jesus Christ. Well, the world says, you know, receive Christ. But which Christ are they receiving? Uh, Dr. Meredith had a Tomorrow's World magazine. Which Jesus do you worship? The true name of Jesus Christ. He is, I brought out in the uh, telecast, who changed the Sabbath to Sunday. And you realize, who is Lord of the Sabbath? You know, Jesus is still Lord of the Sabbath. Mark 2, verse 28. Not Lord of Sunday. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And are you going to follow that Lord? Or are you following some other Lord? So thankfully, we know the truth. Preach the gospel of the kingdom and the true name of Jesus Christ. Number two, preach the end-time prophecies in the Ezekiel warning to the Israelitish people. And we're doing that because the world does not even know who the Israelitish people are. And yet there's the warning in Jeremiah 30 in verse 7. It's a time of Jacob. It will be the worst time of all. And as I mentioned last night, I think it was not only, of course, the house of, uh, of Israel, but the house of Judah is going to have to pay a penalty. But we want to warn them. And Ezekiel 33 and Ezekiel 3 say that we as the watchmen are held responsible. And that means all of us, the whole collective body of Christ, to get that warning out to the world. Number three, feed the flock and build all our members to the stature of Jesus Christ as best we can. And of course, it's so beautiful there in Ephesians, the third chapter, that we must grow into the stature and the fullness of Christ. And Dr. Meredith gave in his very inspiring sermon along that line, the stature of Jesus Christ. We need to fulfill that and grow into that very stature, which reminds me of, again, one of my favorite verses, Romans the 8th chapter and verse 29. It also explains a part of the family of God. It also explains the very purpose and meaning of life. Romans 8 and verse... Well, we'll start with verse 28. And uh, again, I say this sometimes when things go wrong and I wonder, oh, well, uh, maybe, maybe this shouldn't have happened. We still have to learn from our mistakes. And I was talking with one of our other members here who's aged and has kind of a handicap as I have and walking around because I have a painful hip and other health problems at age 83. Um, but I try to think about Romans 8.28, and I gave a sermon on that. It's still available on, on uh, YouTube, Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Oh, well, I lost this job. Well, maybe that's for your good because God is setting something up for you to get a better job. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And what is His purpose? To create a royal family into which we can be born at the seventh trumpet. Verse 29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
our former association wanted to, to uh, spiritualize that away and say firstborn is just a um, just a title. Well, no, a firstborn of many brethren puts it in context. Yes, there are many brethren, and that is our purpose to be conformed to the very nature, character, and mind of Christ. And even the Apostle Paul said, "We have the mind of Christ." And we need the mind of Christ. What's that? Well, that means the way of love, of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, loving your enemies, as we just read in Matthew, the fifth chapter. So we need to become to conform to the very character and uh, nature of Christ. And uh, I might mention along that line, of the, that means, of course, writing those God's laws on our hearts and on our minds. Someone gave me this just before uh, services this afternoon uh, concerning uh, what I was emphasizing last night of uh, uh, knowing the Ten Commandments long form and uh, knowing the books of Bible and knowing your Bible. And this was what was required of first grade students in Imperial School. Anyone here? Well, I'll... I'll tell you, and then you confirm if any of you were in the first grade of imperial schools here. I'll ask that in a minute. In the first grade of imperial schools, the children are required to memorize certain scriptures as well as other pertinent information of, about the Bible. To see how we stack up against the requirement, the following list will give you an idea of what these youngsters know. How many of us should go back to the first grade. So here's a list of 17 things that they had to memorize. One, the Ten Commandments. Now, it doesn't say short form or long form. Old Testament books in order. Three, New Testament books in order. Four, the 12 tribes of Israel. Five, Psalm 1. Six, Psalm 23. 7, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 14. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 6. 9, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 7 through 13. So broke 1 Corinthians up into two parts. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 10. Matthew 5, verses 11 through 20. 2 Timothy 3, verse 15. Psalm 100. Psalm 3, uh, Proverbs 3, verses 11 through 20. Proverbs 3, verses 21 through 30. Proverbs 3, verses 31 through 35. And so the question is, how many of us should go back to the first grade? Now, is there anyone here who actually was in the first grade and did that kind of memory? Anyone here? One, two, wow, three. I don't see four. Uh, five. Well, five. Thank you for coming. Confirming, I do, did you do that? Actually, learn those uh, 17 items. I, I hope you did. Anyway, uh, thank you for sharing that. So anyway, we need to do better, don't we? We need to make sure that we're studying God's word daily, as I mentioned in the Bible study last night. So let's be going forward. We are family with a mission. We need to fulfill that mission as God's royal family. An exercise dynamic, godly love. The next section I want to cover briefly, and I don't even know what time it is. How much time do we have? Oh, we have one minute. <laughs> I'm just getting started. I've got five minutes? Okay. 
We started, we started at three. Oh, okay, I got 31 minutes. Oh. 31 minutes, thank you. I stand corrected again. All right, well, the next section I want to, is to remember your spiritual identity. And Mr. Bukowski in the sermonette mentions several descriptors of who we are and what we are in our calling. Uh, we are a spiritual house. We are a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood, and a royal priesthood means a combination of kings and priests, a royal priesthood. That's our calling, and we need to remember that. I gave a sermon, Your Identity and Your Calling. I hope some of you uh, were able to see that. So who are you? Who are you? So many different descriptors of true Christians. John 15 I am the vine, and you are the branches, Jesus Christ said. So who are we? We're the branches of a living vine, Jesus Christ, and our Father is the husbandman. And he said in John 15:8, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Who are you? You are a bondservant of Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Peter would say, I'm a uh, from the, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And Apostle Paul said the same thing. The Greek is doulos, meaning bondservant. We are servants of Christ, and we're saints, of course, as he said. And I don't know if I told you that story, but anyway, I don't want to take too much time from it. But uh, when we went to uh, Rome... Uh, with my mother-in-law and uh, 1973 we were at Minehead, England for the feast went to Amsterdam, Paris, Geneva we met Dr. Meredith there he was Deputy Chancellor of the Brickerwood Campus and came over to Geneva for the Sabbath then we went on to Dusseldorf met with Mr. Frank Shea uh, went on to Paris uh, then went on to uh, uh, well, Paris and then Geneva and then we went on to Zermatt and then to Milan, Italy and flew from Milan to Rome. We got in very late at, at Rome and uh, checked into the Cavalieri Hilton. It was very late, and uh, my mother-in-law was deaf, so we needed to have an apartment with two rooms with an outdoor uh, that was secure and locked, but the inside doors could be unlocked so that my wife could visit her mother without having to knock on the door, which she couldn't hear. And so when we registered at the Cavalieri Hilton, my mother-in-law's room was 668. And then my room was 666. <laughs> I'm checking into Rome Hotel, and my room is 666. I was just, oh, what, what's going on here? Almost took the breath out of me. <laughs> but the next day, I was reading on the balcony in Romans, and it said, Grace and peace to all, to all the saints that be in Rome. Grace and peace be unto you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ to all the saints that be in Rome. And as far as I knew, my wife and I were the only saints in Rome. <laughs> and that was very, very comforting. So, yes, we are saints. A saint is one who has God's Holy Spirit. So who are you? Your servants? You are saints, uh, you are disciples. And as Dr. Fall mentioned in his booklet on parenting, that uh, dis disciples come from discipline. I gave that sermon recently on godly discipline. We are sheep. 
Psalm 100, verse 3, We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Psalm 100, verse 3. And we are the Lamb's wife, which I'll talk about on the last great day. Revelation 19, uh, verse 7. So we thank God that He's called us to be His children, to be the very wife and, and bride of Christ. And remember that you are, remember your spiritual identity. And part of it, of course, is uh, smiling. Uh, it was so, so cute to see uh, uh, the uh, song leader have the little children, get the little children to smile and uh, for their beautiful song and effort. Uh, just remind me, of course, when, as I mentioned in the Bible study last night, where the Pharisees were chiding Jesus, you're here with these little children doing, they're praising you. And Jesus said, have you never read that he praises you out of the, the mouths of babes? I can't quote that, but he praises them. The children were praising Christ, and that was prophetic, and that was lovely. But I just want to share with you something, a little scientific experiment that was done. And I can't read with my eyes here, but it was one of Dr. Lee who did some study on smiling, the effect of smiling in our bodily health. And this is what he wrote, if I can see it, read it enough here. It says, Smiling and laughing are the essence of brain respiration an educational method that optimizes the brain's functions through integrated exercises for the body and mind. Five minutes of smiling is better than five hours of working out. Those of you who work out for five hours and don't want to do it, five minutes of smiling is better than five hours of working out. Ten minutes of smiling, ten seconds of smiling is the same as rowing a boat for three minutes. So anyway, I'll give that as a, a help for all of you, for those of you who don't like to exercise. <laughs> no, you should exercise, of course, but, but smiling, we're radiating. You know, we heard the expression, we need to reflect Jesus Christ, and, and that's true, but I rather like to phrase it, we need to radiate God's Spirit, radiate the fruits of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. You radiate God's love, and we are ambassadors for Christ. So we need to have the essence of godly character in our lives. So let's rejoice in God's love as He called us with the greatest purpose given to anyone. We're kings, priests, and judges in training. We are His royal family. We are a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, and a royal priesthood. And we saw in Ephesians, the third chapter, that God is the Father of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And the Apostle Paul said, I bow my knees to the Father. And so... I hope that all of you who are able, some of us are not able to bow our knees at any long period of time, that you are bowing your knees every day, and that you don't let one day go by without praying. Praying on your knees if you can. And you don't let one day go by without reading your Bible. As the we saw last night that the Bereans 
search the Scriptures daily, whether these things be so, in Acts the 17th chapter. So you read the Bible daily, and you read, you pray daily. You don't let one day go by without doing those. So brethren, we know who we are. We know our calling. We know our mission. We need to praise God for the purpose and plan that He has for all mankind. And He has revealed that plan through the annual festivals and the annual holy days. So let's remember our calling, rejoice in our calling. Uh, we are celebrating the kingdom of God, the coming kingdom of God. And just continue to love one another as we have such a wonderful, affectionate atmosphere here at at uh, Zermatt in uh, Midway, Utah. We just really appreciate uh, the love of everyone. And remember that we have brothers and sisters all the way around the world. And the Living Church of God has uh, over 50 uh, festival sites in over 33 different countries around the world. And, uh, of course, we have the telecast going out in, uh, diff the, in Russian, Ukrainian, um, in, in uh, Spanish and French. And... Uh, of course, we have uh, the uh, Spanish version of Tomorrow's World doing very well. Mr. Mario Baez, who's in Charlotte, does the voice uh, voiceover. And uh, I don't have time to do it, but I should show you uh, my speaking in Spanish on El Mundo de Mañana. And, of course, it's not really me. It's uh, Mario Baez's voiceover, but he does it almost with lip -synch synchronization. And uh, so... Uh, we've gotten over millions of views for the Spanish uh, El Mundo de Mañana. It's doing very successfully, and we're thankful for that. And so we're working on booklets now in German and making progress with that. We're starting with some more booklets in Portuguese. Uh, so pray for God's work. Uh, we're on the end time, and we need to make sure that we're fulfilling the mission that God has given us. So may God continue to bless all of us as we love one another and make sure that we're seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and we're fulfilling the mission that Christ gave us and have the same attitude that Christ had when He said in John 4, verse 34, My food is to the do the will of Him that sent me and finish His work. So thank you, brethren, again for all your love. Let's grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Let's know our Bible and let's do maybe what uh, these first graders at Imperial School did and uh, do more than that. We have to live the way of life, the way of give, not the way of get, not the way of death, but the way of life. So thank God for His Spirit, for His love, and for all of you. And let's pray for the work to be done and that we can persevere. We have Philadelphian perseverance endure to the end and do God's work faithfully. Thank God that we are called to be His royal family.